This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. I've been trying to get this woman back on the show since the first time she came on. And, you know, she met, she went viral when she was in the classroom teaching her students geography, geography to one of the hottest songs at the time, which was Cardi B's Bodak Yellow. And it was amazing, amazing, amazing. And now she's pivoting during these COVID times. She's the CEO and founder of Langston League, which is helping educators create culturally responsive instructional material for kids, for young people, for students, pop culture, professional development workshops as well. Let me welcome the one and only Erica Buddington. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, no, listen, um, you know, since you've done that, there've been several other educators and scientists and other people using popular music to express things because quite frankly, we learn through music, which, you know, right. Schoolhouse rock, you know, every kid knows every lyric to every popular song. So why not drop knowledge into that? You know, um, which we did in early hip hop, you know, Karis one leaders of the new school. You must learn. There were all of this, all of these great empowering messages and as well as scientific messages put into music. This is not anything new. This is who we are. Why aren't we doing more of this, Erica? I mean, this this was happening prior to, you know, me even doing this work. I, um, my dad brought me up on a lot of old school hip hop. And for instance, I just, there's this educator. Um, she once worked with Kip. I don't remember exactly where I read the story, but she does uh, math instruction and she wrapped math instruction. She's passed away since, right? But she does math instruction and she does an amazing job at it. And I remember like seeing this woman when I was like maybe 19 on YouTube and going, what? Cause I was an MC and a poet, you know, I'm, I'm on HBO Step Poetry, competing in slams in the city. And I'm like, I can bring this into my instruction. This is, this is fire. And so, you know, seeing that video really affirmed for me like, this is what I can do. Um, and, you know, ever since then, I've seen examples of it in music. You know, we're telling stories, we're teaching lessons through music, and I've seen it with other educators and mentors of mine. Um, and I'll be honest, when I first came out, there were a lot of folks in the background saying to me, you know, this doesn't belong in the classroom. Like, why is this in the classroom? And I had to have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations about, you know, Western African tradition of storytelling and the griot and how so many of, you know, our literary scholars were doing the same work just in a different way, right? And so if you look into some of the uh, journals and magazines of our time, you know, they were teaching uh, lessons through poetry they were teaching it through photography they were teaching it through song and I'm you know reading the crisis and the journal of negro history and I'm like come on they've been ciphering they've been ciphering and for y'all to sit here and tell me that they belong in the classroom right artistry has always been in the classroom and there's a difference between school and education and honestly you know schooling happens in the classroom but education can happen anywhere so and it should I, I think COVID you know I was talking to you off mic off mic COVID has taught us the, a lot with remote learning. I'm putting up air quotes that to engage these kids is a lot harder. A lot of parents are really respecting teachers right now because they're like, oh, oh, I thought, okay, this is not a joke. But I think a lot of parents, particularly black parents, are saying, what was I sending my kids to every day? 
you know, what was the education that they were actually receiving and how is it benefiting them? Because we have these these metrics. You know, you have to get this high school diploma, then you have to get this college degree, and this college degree will get you a job. This is what we're taught, except you get out into the world and you can have all of these degrees and skills and not get a job. You could have mm-hmm. none of these degrees and skills and be Zuckerberg. <laughs> you know, you could be a degenerate and be a billionaire. You could be Bezos. Do you know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, I think we, we now have to reimagine for ourselves. We, we literally are handing our children over mostly to a system that has never really seen them or respected them and, unless it comes through individual teachers, individual educators, you know, but it's not a system. So you're creating a system. Tell us about this system that you've created. Right. Um, so I'm currently running Langston League. We're a multi-consultant firm, 14 of us now. In 2016, it was just two of us in a cafe across the street from my house in a dream. <laughs> wow. And um, it was really born from just being frustrated with the instructional materials that I was given, um, you know, to teach my children. So, you know, I have many educator friends who are in the same predicament. And it's not that they don't want to teach decolonized material. It's not that they don't want to teach, you know, nuanced text and new curriculum alongside the old instruction, because some of it is pertinent, right? But the reality is um, we have structures in place, right? There are systems in place that prevent them from doing so. When you're an educator in the classroom for 45 minutes and you've been given a particular unit or lesson to teach and someone says they're coming in to watch and your job is dependent upon that, right? At that point, I can't blame the educator, right? At that point, I'm like, I see, right? And I have the privilege as someone who doesn't have to provide for a family in that way or, you know, uh, be home by a certain time. Like I had the privilege to kind of push back Right. And so I tell folks all the time that sort of activism. Right. There's a privilege in that. I was in the in the, the teacher's lounge like I'm not reading this book on my kids next year and you can fire me if you want to. But I'm going to tell you why this is racist or I'm going to tell you why this doesn't reflect the kids that we serve or I'm going to tell you what could be better. Right. And so I had the ability to do that. But those that speaking up in the lounges, it wasn't enough for me during the professional developments. It wasn't enough. And so I said, how can I do this on a larger scale? And that's what Langston League is, right? It is a ton of educators who have a similar ideology um, and who believe that our instruction should be decolonized. It should be culturally responsive and it should uh, feature our children and it should be holistic, right? And so there are no alt history, right? History is dynamic and it changes as we find new things. And so Honestly, that's really where we are right now. We started out doing everything. We had, we were working with uh, tech companies. Some of our consultants work with, uh, they delve into coding and robotics. And they make that more culturally responsive. Some of our consultants delve into, you know, the, the text they want kids to be um, reading in these English courses. But as of late, we've really been pushing into history instruction. And so what that looks like today is I have a client, um, they're called Movers and Shakers, Glenn and Idris, two black men, two Haitian black men. They're at the forefront at this company of this company. They are creating augmented reality for that that uplifts black and brown narratives in history, underrepresented narratives. And Pause. so they're what, releasing what, what, this. Wait, hold on, hold on, Erica. What is augmented reality versus AI? Right. What okay. Is- so artificial intelligence is just, you know, like your smartphone or different, your computer and the intelligence that's built in. But augmented reality is literally what it sounds like to augment your reality. So if you have, let's say like a good example, this is the Pokemon Go app, 
right? So I can open this app up with my God kids and we're playing. And essentially what you see is you see your living room, but then suddenly there's a Pokemon on your couch. You just augmented your reality, right? Suddenly there's something there that wasn't there before through this, through the construct in your phone. And so what they're doing with this particular app is you can be in your living room and you can be walking down 125th street during the Harlem Renaissance. Right. Mm. And you can be engaging with people that were prominent then, or just, you know, everyday folk, and they can be talking to you about, you know, what their experience is. Um, they can be talking to you about Florence Mills, or, you know, you could be in the 1950s talking about Ernestine Tiny Davis at her club um, that she had. And so, they are delving into these narratives that are uh, very underrepresented in a very unique way that's going to engage our kids. And so my, my crew has been, you know, writing dialogue, uh, going into primary sources, interrogating the secondary sources and saying, this is not true. We can't find information that supports this, but this is true. And let's put this into the game and providing, you know, questions that push students to say, wait a minute, how do I know? this is true who wrote this what was the purpose of this right things are textbooks all along um and so yeah we have movers and shakers we also work with a few schools on redesigning their history instruction um we just uh, closed out around with because of them we can they build black history subscription boxes for uh students from k to five um and we also you know are just released um decolonized this summer which is a black history middle school series that features me as the host talking about underrepresented narratives i'm actually filming right now which is why i have on my like jacket which is literally in my logo like the little animation is wearing a jacket where i have conversations with students about stories that they should be hearing in their classrooms so that's what our work looks like Every day. Erica Buddington, mostfireteacher.com. Most fire teacher. I agree. And you can follow her at Erica Buddington on Twitter. Um, Langston Hughes, you got a picture over your head with him smoking a cigarette, which is probably <laughs> how we see him a lot. Uh your your company is named after him. Why? Why Langston? Oh, it's so layered. So layered. So uh my mother read Langston. She says she, she's she been reading Langston since the womb. She takes full credit for this. Um, but as a kid, you know, she'd cook and she'd say, okay, let's go. And, you know, we were reading Mother to Son. We were reading Dream Deferred. And we talked about the different themes that showed up. Um, you know, my favorite poem by Langston is Theme for English B, where he talks about his experience at Columbia University being in a creative writing course. Um, and he's the only Black student, right? And talking about an assignment that he has to work on. And so, uh, of course, I would be attached to that because I'm an educator. But my mom, you know, she's a Langston fan. And so um, growing up, I was just always obsessed with finding out like what I work in Harlem now where did he walk <laughs> like where, where did he live and I would find out all these really interesting things you know he's interred in a medallion um, on the floor of the Schomburg his ashes are interred there right I found out that his brownstone is on 127 between 5th and Madison so I'm a 20 year old who just started her first job at Harlem Children's Zone and I'm like his House is two blocks. Okay, I'll see y'all later. I'm gonna have my lunch on these steps, right? Um, and you know, just very infatuated with his work. 
I've read everything from his simple stories to his plays to his, you know, uh, issue his fissure with Zornal, everything. And so it, it just, for me, when I was struggling through uh, this instructional piece, like how can I bring the work that is necessary for the Black children, the Latinx children that I'm serving, right? Um, his name just kept coming to mind. And then I came across this story. Um, the story is about a garden that he has in the front of his house. And so the neighborhood kids were running through his garden and trampling his flowers. And he's like, oh, come on. <laughs> so what he decided to do was with the help of a you know, botanist that lived nearby, he decided to start a story time program at this garden. And then he also had the students plant their own, the kids in the neighborhood plant their own plant and put a little stake with their name on it and say, listen, this plot is now your responsibility. And so there was a profile done of him a few years later and the garden was magnificent and the kids took responsibility. Um, and I, I just said to myself, right, like, you know, everything I read about Langston, he's always thinking about our kid, the black boy. He's talking about the Youth Councils of America when he's writing about the NAACP. He's talking about, you know, his garden and how they trampled it. And okay, well, let's just, you know, get them involved with it. And while they're here, let me read. And this is, he's at the height of his fame at this point. Let me just sit in my garden and read with the kids and kick back with them. It ain't no thing, right? To me, that work is the work I wanted to do. And so I said to myself, Langston Lee. Right, like he was gonna put a bunch of Avengers together, right? And it was gonna be about the kids, definitely was. Oh, I love that. All right, tell us about Florence Mills. Yeah, Erica so, whew, so Florence Mills, the entertainer, Blackbird, right? During the Harlem Renaissance. Um, so she was a force and I'm reading from she was five years old, she was performing. Her, her family was going through some financial struggles. And as a child, she said, can I use this performance to you know, bring in some funds? And her family was like, uh, perhaps. And so you know, I'm pulling primary sources where there's this child who's a singer and dancer and makes their way through some of the most incredible stages across the world, from England um, to the Harlem Renaissance. She had an all black review, the first all black review um, that happened. And I believe it was the Alhambra Ballroom in uh, Harlem. And so, you know, what broke my heart about Florence Mills' story was finding out the way that she died. And when I read about so many of, you know, and, I'm the, and I hate saying Harlem Renaissance because the Renaissance was national. It was happening everywhere. Yes. Chicago, Detroit, right? And so, but when you read about the folks who were uplifted during this time, their art, the art that was uplifted during this time, and you read how early they died, you start to think about the infrastructure, right? And so Florence Mills dies of tuberculosis at a very early age, um, speeds over from Europe after a show to get medical attention and then ends up dying. And, you know, I think about that same infrastructure and reading about like, you know, she didn't die that far off from the Spanish flu, right? Which is very much the, the last pandemic we went through. And so I think about that and how black people were least likely uh, to contract the Spanish flu. And a lot of theorists believe that that's because of segregation. It took longer to get to our neighborhoods, but we were most likely to die, right? And the reason we were most likely to die, just like now, is because of the infrastructure. And here we are 100 years later, and that same infrastructure is happening, right? Where black people are more likely to, to die from COVID-19. And so, you know, as I'm doing this work and, um, 
working alongside Movers and Shakers to bring Florence Mills to this platform so students can, you know, see her work, um, not necessarily listen to her audio because none of her audio was ever saved, which breaks my heart, but read these primary sources about this petite but phenomenal artist during this time. Um, her funeral had 50 to 60,000 people walking all through Harlem, right? This great person who died so young and did not have to. And it was very much because of the infrastructure that still exists today. Seeing this and work, it makes me think about what's hap happening right now. I'm getting choked up. Yeah, we're yeah. talking with Erica Buddington, and because of you, her name will become immortalized. You know, the African proverb, until the last person speaks your name, you'll never die. In many ways, what you're doing is bringing to life people who we didn't know, haven't heard about before. Everyone pretty much knows Langston Hughes, but this today is the first time I ever heard about Florence Mills. So I want to thank you for that. Um, and, and that's the work, right? That's the work for our, for our babies, for our children to bring to life people that, that they need to know, you know, they're going to give us Harriet Tubman. They're going to give us Frederick Douglass and, you know, we're going to get Booker T and WEB and maybe George Washington Carver, Phyllis Wheatley, you, you know, you know, the, the names and their pictures in people's classrooms, you know, during black history month, they usher out the same eight, nine names. Martin Luther King's going to be in there, maybe Malcolm X, but there, there's so many, you know, other stories that build a tapestry of not just struggle around civil rights, not just, you know, this certain kind of narrative that, that feeds what America needs to see in us, but shows us as whole complete human beings. You know, and I, I'm grateful for this, what you're doing. How how can people who are listening right now, uh, if there are folks that are thinking about homeschooling, which I think a lot of parents are thinking about that, which I so much encourage, in addition to, if there are educators out there, folks that are principals, because there are a lot of principals listening to this, people who want to run a school or start a school, how can they connect with, with the Langston League to, to get this curriculum? Um, so many people just, it just starts out with an email, right? And they send us their vision and no vision is too big or too small for us, right? So many of our clients just sent us an email and said, I have this crazy thing I'm thinking of. I have homeschool moms who are, are homeschool collectives that are reaching out to me and saying, I have this crazy idea. And I'm like, not crazy, not at all. What you're thinking is phenomenal. And let me help you, let our consultants help you. And sometimes, you know, uh, we can connect you with someone else who's doing the work. Right, so we have um, other programs like Woke Kindergarten, which is run by Akia Gross. They do phenomenal work with kindergarten students. We don't work with ki kindergarten students, but we'll say, we might not be able to do this, but we know someone who can. And that's the power of a collective, right? Is that, that we're all connected. Um, and honestly, there's so much out there, right? So um, I currently design instruction for Reconstruction US and they are a platform that designs unapologetically black instruction with you know, tutors that are predominantly African-American tutors and um, students can just log on and they can take a class for five weeks on spoken word called Little Speakers Union for fourth and fifth grade. Or, you know, they can take uh, the Reconstruction Canon courses that delve into, you know, um, text that you wouldn't necessarily see on our text list in our school. So they can read Yagyasi's home, uh, Homecoming, or they can delve into, um, I'm trying to think of another class, they have a class called Digits, and they're talking about algorithms and math in the lower grades, like K-5. Like, that's absolutely phenomenal. And it's, it's Black, Blackity, Black, Black, Black. 
right? And so the, one of the founders is Kaya Henderson, the former chancellor of DC schools. Um, and so that's something like essentially right now you can design your own instruction and you can start to interrogate what your children have been given. And the way that the ways that you can do that, like some have a paywall, but some do not. So for instance, you know, as I said before, we're doing this black history series called Decolonize and there's no paywall on that. Like it's free. I like put my ring light up, put my coat on and I delve into all of these different resources. And on my Instagram, I just, you know, go over all of these random things that I feel are pertinent to our kids learning in the classroom. So right now I'm doing an episode on Benson, Alabama. And Benson, Kawalaja, Alabama is a black town that is now Lake Martin, Alabama, right? And so when you think about it, you're like, wait a minute, how does a town become a lake? These are the questions we need to start asking. And so when Lake Lanier started trending this summer and everyone was like, well, you know what happened at Lake Lanier, right? It was once a black town and there was this racial cleansing that happened in the 1940s. I said, you know, it's not the only one. You, and you know, when Lovecraft Country, everyone was talking about Tulsa oh, I can't believe that I said, you know, it's not the only one, right? Um, I'm really excited to start having conversations about these reconstruction era towns where there was a lot of collectivism and triumph happening amongst our people and how do they magically become lakes or, you know, disappear? You know, things just don't disappear. There are stories behind that. And I think that instruction is important too. We, we in, in middle school instruction, we hop over reconstruction. It, it's a blip in the material. And I, I think it's, a gateway to a lot of things that are happening right now. It I can is make the most important. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, even Color of Money, uh, Color of Money, Mercer Berendaran's book, uh, Reconstruction was the thing that destroyed Black everything. You had, yep. you know, during Reconstruction, more Black politicians, which means Black people understood the power of the vote. They, they voted. They came out. They elected people to not just the House of Representatives, to the Senate. I think there was one Black governor. Not not a black governor. It was two black senators, a bunch of reps, you know, and and you know, not just Tulsa, as you mentioned. There were nineteen. There was a what was that? The the, the red summer. Nineteen self-made black towns destroyed by racism. Nineteen yeah. during one summer, and then the next year was Tulsa. So you yeah. you think about like during the Spanish flu, like you know, it's like it's crazy. Y'all had enough energy to to decimate whole ass communities as y'all recovering from a Spanish flu, but this is America. And I think if we're going to stay here, we have to understand what she is. If we're going to stay here and build, I was telling somebody, I'm, I'm building around racism. I'm building around it. I'm not, I'm not engaging with it. We're going to build around it because we can. Now the, the, the goal is to put like a star Wars system of protection around the things that we build. And I think it starts here. And I think it starts with a knowledge of self and what we can do. So what you're doing is so important. It is so important. Uh, all right. So we can go to and, and send you an email and connect with you. You're going to give us resources. Um, I like this. How do we widely, you know, I know you're on the show, so I appreciate you coming in. Maybe this is the start of something. But how do we get people to understand how miseducated they are? And this mm -hmm. is not just for kids because, you know, I think a lot of parents are, are listening and are like, who is Tiny Davis? <laughs> what town right. is that in Alabama? What are you talking about? Lake Lanier, what? Right. Um, so everything is instruction. That's the first thing I want to say. Everything is instructional material. And once people realize that, 
things will start to like peel apart. So I believe that it starts with the archives. I think there is so much accessible to us, right? And so like, are you delving into like, the, you see those terms I just mentioned, put them into the Google newspaper archive, put them into newspapers.com, go to JSTOR, which gives you, if you sign up 120 free articles that you can read it and after that there's a paywall. And I have issues with, you know, that, but we'll, I'll get into that another time, <laughs> right? Like make your way into the Library of Congress, right? There are so, uh, life has an archive. So does the New York Times and start to search some of the things you're seeing. Like I know that so everyone is sharing so much information right now um, on Instagram. You're going to see like images of Central Park and then a blurb about Seneca Village underneath, right? And that's great, but delve into the archive and read some more because there's so much more for you to learn. I just mentioned Ernestine Tiny Davis, do the same thing with um, her name. Then I, I do the same thing with Florence Mills, right? Our, we're not a monolith, uh, we're so nuanced. And some of the people that you see that are uplifted in a certain light, right? I'm not gonna say any names, Booker T. Washington. Um, you, you, wanna, you, wanna, you wanna put their names in the archive, read their letters, right? Read the correspondence when people, when they weren't intending to publish, what were they saying? right? What did they bring to, to what, what did they sell their peers? And so I think that that's where the instruction happens. I'm at dinner with friends and they do this thing with me. They're like, so Erica, what is this building? And I'm like, give me two seconds. I'm in my phone and I'm like, okay, so William S. Blake used to live here. He was a black man. He had three, they're like, whoa, right? And I'm like, the archives will tell you everything. Put your address in, right? Literally there's a history that's happened on your block. A good friend of mine, she lives in the house that has been in Brooklyn for generations. And I found out that, you know, there was a man across the street and his family still lives in the neighborhood and they built the house that she lives in and they use workers that came from Weeksville. Her house was built by Weeksville workers and then held Weeksville families, right? And so we sat there in awe of this. That's instruction. That's a lesson plan. And once we start to pull those primary sources out of the out of the archives and present them to our children and honestly ourselves, you're going to see a lot of things in a different light. Mm. Why geography? You know, wh why did you start there and with with Bodak Yellow? Just because the, the equator and everything it kind of fit lyrically. Um. So I'm a very animated teacher. I had like a. a a globe in the classroom and I was kind of like spinning it around. We're supposed to start ancient civilizations. And I was asking kids to point things out on the, the globe for me. And they couldn't. This is the sixth grade. They couldn't tell me where Africa was. They couldn't tell me where Australia was. They couldn't tell me where the equator was. They couldn't tell me what was latitude, what was longitude. And I said, oh, we're going to talk about ancient civilizations, but we don't know the globe. That's a problem, right? So I, I deviated from what our unit was supposed to be at that time. <laughs> and I song because that's the fastest way to learn it but still get you on track so that you can get to the unit exam and I don't fail you right and so uh you know I did it I remember rapping it to a friend and they said that's corny kids not gonna like that <laughs> and I said I'm a rapper when you're genuinely this person kids rock with that they respect that now if I wasn't a rapper they'd be like okay what you doing right and so I did it and they were turned up and I realized by the end of the week, when their exit tickets went from a very low percentage all the way up to almost 90 plus, the students got it. They knew everything on the globe. I said, okay, right, I, I did the right thing. And now we can move on. And when I say Africa, you're not like, where? Right, you're not pointing to the United States. <laughs> you know where exactly where it is. Like wearing algebra, 
bananas did they remember did they retain you know I, I i read somewhere that the regents when kids failed the regents when they put it to music those same kids passed what is it about the beat and the lyrics that make the retention so much greater i don't know what that is is it spiritual erica buddington i feel it's spiritual i really do a lot of my students call me and they just start rapping things to me that i forgot that i wrote as a rap and i'm like okay <laughs> and they're in 11th grade now 10th grade and they remember and they're like i was taking this test the other day and they tried to get me but you taught me in a, and i'm like wow i didn't even remember that rap but you did right so it works it works foundationally what's the first where should we start with our kids should it be math which is uh you know universal should it be literature should it be something like geography, which is ever changing, actually? You know, you know, I think about Myanmar was once, you know, called something else. South, uh, you know, there's like even the countries in Africa, like who got to name them? You know, why are there borders there? Like there's a whole bunch of questions that that I have just as an adult. But, you know, where should we start with our with ourselves or with our children in terms of the entry point for knowledge? I believe that you know, many of the stories I just told you are interdisciplinary. And when you start to delve into those stories, you start to see, you know, lessons that branch out into math, history, English, right? And so we don't necessarily, right, we have to start somewhere. It can be an amalgamation. And so if I'm talking to my students about, for instance, Benson, Alabama, and I tell them that John J. Benson, you know, saved $100 and purchased uh, a few acres of land. They say to me like, what, what a hundred dollars? And I said, okay, that's a math problem, right? And let's talk about what $100 in 1880 is worth in 2020, right? That's a math lesson, right? And so then they tell me like, oh, you know, well, why, why do they have them learning about the ways to make potatoes in the orchard? And I said, okay, that's science. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, um, what sort of science goes into making sure that you can have a factory that pushes out oak and timber and, you know, what, what, what sort of engineering has to happen there. And so these are lessons, right? And I would say that when you come across things like this, pause and make that its own part of the instruction. But honestly, I think that when we are being told the story and you have these offshoots of lessons that are really context for the story, right? The child walks away with math, English, history. Right? They walk away with all of these things, right? And so I, I had moments with my kids where they would ask, and they honestly, they taught me, right? When I was starting out in my teaching career and I would teach a book and, you know, I remember we were, we were learning about Christopher Paul Curtis and they're like, well, how many books did he sell? Because he got a lot of books on the back. I said, you know what? 
this is a math lesson. And I called the math teacher and I said, listen, we got to write a lesson about how much Christopher Paul Curtis makes as far as residuals for all of his books, because the kids are very interested. They want to be authors if he makes good money. And we were able to talk to them about that. And, and kids were saying to me, so you're saying if I write a young adult book, that means schools got to buy it in large orders, which I was like, oh, they're brilliant. Right. So, I mean, that's where I feel that we should start. There are other subjects within every narrative story that you're trying to teach your students. And I feel that that has been a disconnect for me when teaching is that why are we learning about ancient Greece, but reading a text in English that has nothing to right? Like we could be reading something that correlates with that in English. It can all be happening on at one time. Right. And this miscommunication is where you get this disengagement from kids go to one class and they're like, oh, my God, I love this. And then I used to have kids hiding in my closet. Like, I don't I don't want to go to the next class. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and when they start to tell me why, I love this so much. But we can still talk about that because there's a math aspect. There's a science aspect. Right. I, everybody hasn't figured that out yet. But you have. And Erica Buddington, you are you are genius. Uh, it's in your DNA and I am, I'm here to support everything that you're doing. I am so proud of you. I am so happy that you're in the world and that you are duplicating and multiplying yourself many times over because that's the true hallmark of a leader. How many more people can do what you do? Yes, you are doing that. And if uh, folks want to uh, connect is mostfireteacher.com the best place to go. Yes. Or Twitter. Okay. At Erica I answer my DMS. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, you got it. Yes, she does, because I, I think I DM'd you recently, even though yes. I have an email address. Yes, I did DM you because you are on Twitter. All right, yes. Erica, listen, um, let's come, you know, let's keep this dialogue going as you unpack some more things. I want you to come back and tell us more things that you're doing. Uh, I'm so proud, proud, proud of you. Mostfireteacher.com. She is the most fire teacher. Erica Buddington. 866-801-8255. I want to keep having this conversation with y'all when we come back. We also have some other COVID stuff to talk about. Erica, thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. Have a great yes. day. Oh, my goodness. My head hurts. Like, I, I want to go down this uh, Lake Benson uh, rabbit hole. I think I want to do that during Send the break. Proposal. <laughs> I found a proposal. I found a proposal that he wrote during the, the 17th year of operation and he lays out everything that he's doing. It's insane. And can you, send it, can you email me? Can you email yeah, me? Yeah, two of the investors were Rockefeller and Carnegie. I was like, why, why can't I Google this? This is, this is problematic. Yeah, I'll send uh, it to you. Let's, let's, let, yeah, we got to talk. I got some stuff that, uh, oh man. 